Someone said last service, like, you got a lot of energy today. I don't think so. I got less sleep last night than normal. So, I don't know. I don't know. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand underneath the reading of God's word. We will get started. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people what it means to live and rest in the promises that you have made. And that when we understand what you've done and what you continue to do, we will live out the remembrance of those things in our lives because we are fully humbled by the graciousness of a God who has stepped in to our lives to rescue and redeem us. Amen. Have a seat. So this is our fourth week in our series, as we're saying. Uh, didn't see that coming. It's what we're calling it. It's a way for all of us to recenter on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when you hear the word gospel, I know a lot of people like to say it, but not a lot of people know what it actually means. The word gospel originally meant good news about an event or a series of events that would impact our lives. And so when we speak about the gospel today, we refer to the good news of what God did in the person of Jesus to rescue and redeem us from the foundation of the world. The gospel message is about our redemption hope that's found in the person of Jesus. If you were here six years ago when we went through the book of Genesis, first off, woo, way to go, stuck with us through the thick and the thin. I'm, I'm impressed with all of you, plus you probably feel really old. Uh, other than that, uh, the first weeks in this series were kind of a rehashing of those messages and bringing those back together about the pro- progress of the gospel throughout the scriptures. As I said in the end, this series will be 16 weeks, and today I really do have to get moving. i got a lot of stuff to get through just like last week. Uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. We're going to start with a guy named Noah and go all the way through this guy who gets named Israel. So we've got a long way to go. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, this is one of the main summations of Noah's story and the gospel message in Genesis. And it's not about giraffes or elephants sticking their head out of an ark window. It comes about here in Genesis 8.1. This is after Noah and his family have been drifting around in this big boat for about a year on these waters. And it kind of relates because maybe you're in a place in your like today where you feel like you've been drifting or you feel all alone or maybe like God has forgotten you and you're just kind of out there floating somewhere. It's very relatable. So you see these beautiful words that move the narrative forward. Genesis 8.1, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now the Hebrew word there for remember is this word called zakar. Zakar has this connotation that in remembering something, it changes how you act toward that thing. For us, when we remember who God is in our lives and the gospel, it should change how we live out our lives. It change how we treat God himself. When it says God remember Noah or God remembers us, it's not like we are lost keys and God's walking around heaven going, where did I leave that guy in that boat? Or where did I leave those people walking around on the earth? The word remember means to act on behalf of, in kindness towards. And so God remembers and does something for our good, the good news, the gospel. We are also called to remember God in our lives and how we begin to live. And for people with that essentially means is those who have a relationship with God will remember they have a relationship with God to the extent that they act like they have a relationship with God to the further extent that everyone around them will know they have a relationship with God because of the remembering, remembering. See, make sense? Okay. All right. One of you. Great. We're good. 
I'm not going to start all over again, but we're going to start here. So uh, this is more than call for people to just remember the past. It's to remember the past in a way that affects our present and our future to live out this gospel message. This is unlike the friend that you may have who every week or every day goes out and gets drunk and you meet them and they're at their house trying to climb into their toilet and asking you where their pants went because that guy doesn't remember anything because they're always doing the exact same thing. Remembering is, oh, I remember this, so it makes my future different because I'm going to live like this. When the Old Testament says that God remembered his covenant or God remembers Noah, it means he acted in covenant faithfulness towards. So what happens after you get past Noah, you go directly to this place called Babel. This is where God is going to separate language from one another because man forgets in a Zakar sense again, but God himself is faithful. God comes and he steps in, in man, in their lostness, and then he sends man out to do what they originally needed to do. It shows that God is ultimately in control. Sometimes this rubs up against us, you know, because we get bent all the shape. Well, how can God be in control? God has his glory and his good in mind when he does what he does. When he violates our perceived free will, it's because he is better and more powerful than us, and we should be thankful about that every time it happens. After he scatters his people, he comes to a pagan man named Abraham, and he will make some promises to Abraham. In history, certain people show up as being prominent. Other than Jesus and religious history, this guy Abraham is one of the most prominent men you will ever read about. He is what is called a patriarch, a patriarch from family or father, ark from leader, so he becomes the leader of a new family a new nation, a new lifestyle. His life becomes the pattern that ensuing generations are called to follow and to imitate as we remember the good news of what God has done. When you meet Abraham, he starts off worshiping all of these false gods until he's about 75 years old. And this may be good news for some of you because maybe you're older and you come to faith later in life. Well, you have something in common with one of the most prominent men in the Bible. When you meet Abraham, his name is initially Abram, and that means my father is exalted, so his dad had self-esteem issues to start off with. You know, Later, God will rename him to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He is so prominent that he is mentioned 300 times in the scriptures and 11 out of 27 New Testament books. But before God remembers Abraham in that Zakar sense, Genesis 11:29 says, And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah. That means princess, so she's probably really hard to deal with. In the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child. In the scriptures, that's bad news. That's not good news because she's barren. Barrenness is a very important detail about Abraham's wife. She's barren and old. Barren in that in the scriptures and the society is meant to equate to hopelessness. So she's barren. But on the other side, she's also very attractive. She is 65 years old and hot. Uh, later, two guys will try and take her away from Abraham. Not a lot of grandmas can say that, but apparently she's pretty hot. So Abraham is like a guy. He's just a normal dude. Lots of issues. Not that impressive, just like us. And God always starts with unexpected people and unexpected places and does unexpected things. This is not the basketball star or the baseball star or the football star. God's going to come and use the guy with a barren wife that seemed hopeless. God chooses to use Abraham. And that's not something people would have saw coming. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. So hopefully it's just like a page over from Genesis 8. Genesis 12, God starts with Abraham like this. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. 
See, so God shows up. It's like no preamble. How you doing? How's life, man? How's how's the princess that you married? What's going? Nothing like that. God's like go. It's like she'll go from the from your country and your kindred and your father's house. This would be all the things that he grew up with, all the false gods he's been worshiping, and to the land I will show you. Trust me and go here. Now Abraham knows where he's leaving. He's not that sure where he's going to go. We would probably ask questions if God showed up and said this to us. We would say, well, what's the land like? You want me to? go to is it like uh Sisquoc or is it like santa barbara is it like montecito before or after the the mudslides well, what's it like i, I want to know before i go is there wells are there water is, is there trees god just says trust me trust me i am good you can trust me and abraham does trust him and then god makes these promises and all these promises are i i i because god's promises are based upon who he is verse two he says and i will make of you a great nation how He's got a barren wife. He's got no kids. She's well past the age to have children. How is he going to do this? You will be a great nation. This is why Abraham is a prototype of faith. He is going to believe impossible things. And God says, and I will bless you. If your hands are empty, I'm going to fill those, Abraham. Trust me, and I will make your name great. Throughout the scriptures up to this point, a lot of what brings mankind's sin and all these problems with each other is he's always trying to make his name great. He's always trying to be the ones, I can do this without God. I'm very important. Have you seen me? All of these issues stem from this. Now God says, I will make your name great. Why? So that glory goes to where it's supposed to go, in God's hands. And he says, so that you will be a blessing. So why is God going to make him great? So he can be a blessing. Exactly. That's the good news of the gospel. We understand the gospel. What are we supposed to be? Thank you, Amanda. Man, I should have you in every service. The Amanda button. Boom! Right there. So people, a lot of times, will claim Christianity is the worst thing that happened on the face of the earth. I think they are biased and don't understand a whole lot of things because reading, education, compassion, the rise of science, all came about because of Christianity in the earth. If you extract extract Christianity from the earth, we'd be eating each other instead of steak and chicken. God says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promises. I'm blessing you to go and to be a blessing. God loves the world. He wants people to know who he is and walk with him. And God decides to do this brand new thing through blessing the whole world by starting with this guy named Abraham. Through Abraham, eventually in his line, Jesus will come. Verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot with him. We're not going to talk about Lot. We did Lot all throughout the book of Ruth just a few months ago. But Lot's name fits because he's a lot of trouble. Uh, Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed. From Haran. So he packs up his walker and his diaper and says, Let's go. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and all the peop- and the people that they acquired in Haran, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Some people say that the people that they had acquired are slaves. I don't think that's true. It's a guy named Kasudo. He's probably one of the best Old Testament scholars. And he says the Hebrew rendering in this should actually, not that they brought slaves, but converts which tells you that as soon as Abraham heard the good news, when God spoke to Abraham, what did he do? He shared the gospel. He's like, we have been worshiping demons and false gods, and God has shown up, and he said, I want to love you and redeem you and save you. We're going to follow this God. People are like, yeah! Really excited. Like, and, and they went, and they had these converts. People followed. All the places where Abraham will go from this point are dark places. He's meant to be a light and a blessing to all these places that he goes. God's people need to be a light no matter where we are. It's okay for you to hang out with somebody who's messed up. Just don't get messed up yourself. Open over to Genesis chapter 15. 
So for three chapters, God's working on Abraham, reminding him of who he's meant to be. And Abraham is a knucklehead and does his best to try and run away from those promises. It's really funny. You should read it sometime. But anyway, uh, so, you, so you get through this, and God is reminding Abraham multiple occasions who he's meant to be, of who God is. You will have land. You'll become the nation of Israel. You will be a blessing. You'll have a son that leads to a son, to a son, to a son, that eventually leads to my son, Jesus. He's told that his descendants will be like the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the sea sure hebrews eleven twelve in the new testament looking back says therefore from one man and him as good as dead because they knew he was old they were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the numeral grains of sand on the seashore so genesis 15 it has been years since god makes those initial promises to abraham god has reiterated those promises but abraham hasn't seen those yet so he's wondering god what's going on is my servant son going to be the one that gets all these promises that you're giving to me i'm not am i not really going to have a son And so God is going to remind Abraham, no, I'm good, trust me, which is a great question for us to wrestle with sometimes, is that do we believe God is trustworthy? Do we believe the things that he says is what he will really do? When we place ourselves in his hands, are we willing to leave ourselves in his hands and not grab our lives back because we get scared? Will we trust the promises that God has made? So Abraham is here, he's questioning God in this. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This rendering here is essentially, Abraham, I am your great reward. God does this because Abraham has all of these doubts. He's wondering, God, what are you doing? Where's your promises? Anyone ever have doubts? Okay, good. A lot of you should, should raise your hands. There's a big difference and distinction between doubt versus unbelief. Abraham has doubts. Doubts could be questions you're seeking a resolution to because you want to love and serve God better. You struggle to understand what God is doing. This can be the essence of some relationships. It's, it can be righteous. At Element, as a church, do we have doubts? Of course we do. Of course we do. We are constantly second-guessing the decisions we make because we want to honor God better. Uh, where we move, when we move, how we fix things up or don't fix things up, or focus on gospel communities, uh, the choice of me preaching to you every week. Sometimes we second-guess that a lot. Like, what are we going to do with that? Right? Doubt, though, is not unbelief. Doubt is because we are so very small. And God is so very big and so very good. And we want to honor and glorify Him the best way that we can. Unbelief is when you say, God, you're not good, or there is no God, or if there is a God, he's not good. Unbelief makes ourselves the center of the universe. And many times humanity has unbelief because we don't really want to follow God in the things that he says. We want ourselves to be the center of the universe. We want our own resolution to things, and unbelief is unrighteous. Faith is big enough for doubts. A person of sincere faith can have doubts where unbelief just denies God. And so what God does, he's going to show Abraham how serious he is about his promises. This becomes Abraham's covenant. He has Abraham bring him some animals. And Abraham will cut these animals in two. This is how they did some of these ancient covenants. These two halves would sit opposite each other. Genesis 15, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is literally with smoke and fire. God passed between these pieces of this covenant offering. You see this is representative of who God is in Exodus 19, 19, Exodus 20, 15, Isaiah 4, verse 5, Isaiah 31, verse 9. God shows up in smoke and fire. 
When an ancient covenant is made like this, those who participate in the covenant would walk through the pieces of these animals signifying, this is what will happen to me if I don't follow through with my term of the covenant. God has promised a son, salvation, redemption, a land, a people, a family, all of these things. And in Genesis, Abraham does not pass through these pieces. Only God does, which tells you that God says, I am going to fulfill my promises no matter what. God says, I am going to obligate myself to you and people who follow Christ no matter what. This is an unconditional covenant. God says, no matter what, I will save sinners. Because this is more than just about Abraham. This is about all of humanity. And years later, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Abraham comes and he walks through these pieces because God remembers God remembers. God says, Abraham, I will fulfill what I said, even if it makes me being slaughtered like these animals. And that's exactly what happened. God is foreshadowing Christ's death. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system showed what God would do to take care of our sin problem, what separates us from God and us from one another. He would save us. And you can't let that pass you by. What happens here? God commits himself to death to fulfill his words. This is why we talked about covenant last week, which leads into this covenant this week. It's extraordinary. You will get a son that will eventually lead to Jesus. You will get a land. Abraham, how can I be sure? God says, I will commit myself to death to make it happen. And Jesus Christ becomes a man and dies a brutal, bloody death, bringing about the terms of the covenant given to Abraham to bless all nations of the earth. It's the gospel. That's the good news. And when we understand the gospel, we are meant to be a blessing to the earth around us because we are also in God's family. Now, Abraham does mess up. It's part of his story. You can listen to the Genesis series online. It was a year and a half long. Have at it. Get some great, you know, trips to working back every day for like a year. Uh, Abraham, Abraham will eventually get his promised son. His son's name is Isaac. Isaac's got a bit of a story as well. At one point, God will provide a sacrifice in the place of Isaac at the place where the temple will one day be built. Isaac will also get the same promises as Abraham. And Isaac will then have two sons. His first son's name is Esau. Esau is a man's man. He's a big, burly dude covered in red hair. He's like a Wookiee-sized Elmo. He's just just huge. He's like a firstborn. And then you have Jacob. Jacob's the secondborn son. He's not very tough. A little bit of a mama's boy. Doesn't like responsibility. He's a late, late bloomer. And God will come and God will say, I'm going to choose to use Jacob. That's who my promise will go through. Jacob, like a lot of us, doesn't really trust God. He will hatch a plan with his mommy to go and trick his blind dad and his dumb brother out of the birthright that was already promised to him by God because he doesn't really trust God. Jacob's name means trickster. And so this is what he does. He tricks, he deceives, he does all of these things. Well, Jacob's brother, when he tricks him out of this birthright, decides, I'm going to kill my brother because Esau can because he's ginormous. So Jacob decides, I'm going to run away. And it is God who seeks after Jacob. It is God who runs after him, as God always does. And so it's a long process. It took us a couple of months to get there in Genesis. But God calls Jacob, eventually makes him into a believer. Jacob, also like he's a normal dude, tons of issues. Lots of things do not go right in his life because of his own decisions. When he runs from God and from his brother and from his dad, he gets to his uncle Laban's house. His uncle Laban has two daughters. One is ugly. Her name is Leah. It translates like his cow. So if you watch Star Wars, Princess Cow. Yeah, not very flattering, right? I, I, there's this thing that you can look on the internet. The 15 names that sound nice, but don't name your kids, right? So, you know, whatever. I really hope someone here is not named Leah. I feel really bad about that. It's okay. 
The other one is hot. Her name was Rachel. Uh, who do you think that he wants to marry? Rachel. What? Because she's hot. So he goes and he talks to Laban. He says, I will work seven years of labor for you, for the dowry, for the bride price. And so he does this. And after seven years, it's his wedding night. What does Jacob do? Drinks too much, goes into his dark tent, has sex with his wife, and he wakes up in the morning and the Bible says, and it was Leah. It's really exclamation point. It's really funny. He's like, da, 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 da. and he runs out of his tent. He runs up to Laban. What'd you do to me? You tricked me. You Jacobed me. You did to me what I did to my dad and to my dumb brother. What are you doing? And so he decides that he will work another seven years for Rachel. In the end, he'll work about 20 years of slave labor for his uncle Laban. It's just a a great family that I'm sure you all want to be a part of. Then his wives will get into this breeding war with one another, so much so that they will give their servants to Jacob to have children with. Don't do this, even though it's in the Bible, okay? The Bible's not saying, this is right. It's saying, this is what man's sin does. Men are crazy. It's wrong that. It's wrong now. Guys can't handle one wife, much less four or 400, so just... Don't do it. By the time Jacob heads back to where he's born, where God wants him to be, he will have 11 sons and a daughter. He'll eventually have another son. But God shows up essentially in this place and says, Jacob, you need to go home now. You've grown up enough, and now I want you to go back to from where you came. And right now in Jacob's life, this doesn't look like good news. It looks like bad news with all the stuff he's been doing. But the good news is how God comes and he takes our sin, and he molds it around to something that is beautiful. So in this, right before Jacob goes back and meets Esau, Esau knows he's coming. Esau grabs all these guys. We're going to go meet my brother Jacob. And Jacob's like, oh my goodness, Esau's going to come and he's going to try and kill me. But he still trusts God and he moves forward. He steps into harm's way because he trusts God now. Jacob will send his family ahead of him one night and he will go to a place and he begins to pray, God, my life is a crazy, crazy mess because I keep thinking I know how to do this better than you. That's my, my paraphrase of it. But God placed Jacob in harm's way. He goes willingly. He doesn't give up. He doesn't run away. We must be a people who also learn to trust the promises of God in the midst of our hardship. This is what it's called to walk in faith. We trust him. Jacob says, God, you are faithful and I am not. I am scared. But tomorrow I'm going to step into harm's way because you have promised to be my God and walk with me. I will trust you. So he's finally growing up. The night before that he meets his brother. He's praying all these things and God actually shows up. And God is going to wrestle with him all night long. Genesis 32, if you want to flip over to there, starting in verse 24. He's praying all these things, and then God shows up, and it says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Uh, Jacob's really old at this point. Probably seems like a nightmare, like it's in the middle of the night, you're old, you're creaky, you're tired, you've got to get up and go pee again, because he's really old. And some dude jumps him and wrestles with him. And in reality, Jacob's distressed, and Jesus here is going to do something in his life to grow him up because he knows what Jacob needs. Jacob has been running scared his entire life. He's been running away from God's call, and here God's going to grow him up in many ways by bringing him hardship. And sometimes like, hey, now my life makes sense, right? I met Jesus, and he beat me up. That's how it works. God doesn't typically grow us all the time you know, by giving us like aromatherapy and tea and rubbing our back. God shows up in hardship. A lot of times Jesus will bring hardship into our lives so we begin to remember who he is. Jonathan Edwards writes that God wanted Jacob to appreciate the blessing when he got it, as I think God does with you and me. So sometimes it's dark.
darkest before the dawn, as it will be when Jacob wrestles with God all night long. And I personally believe this is Jesus that wrestles with Jacob, because when God shows up in the Old Testament, it's typically Jesus. And so I believe that Jesus humbles himself to Jacob's level, doesn't kill him, but wears him out all night, because he's teaching Jacob courage and fortitude and masculinity. You ran from your brother, you ran from me, you ran from your uncle, you ran from your dad. Now you're crying, oh, save me. Well, you got to toughen up. You got to toughen up. If he's got to go home and deal with this brother and found a nation, he's got to toughen up. God's people, we need to have a bit of stamina and fortitude and conviction. We must live and stand for the promises of God. If you're a dad and you have boys, wrestle with your boys. Get down on their level and be like, oh, I mean, you can crush them, right? But you don't. Right? You get down there like, oh, it's about intimacy and love. And you're like, oh, you're so strong. You're so, oh, you're so strong. Oh, right? You're not like pile driver. You don't do that because you'd kill them. You get on their level. I think that's exactly what God does here because he's teaching Jacob to grow up. Verse 25. When the man's side did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So I think Jacob's like, whew, I need a breather. And the guy's like, oh, okay. And then he's all, bam, I got you, I got you. I'm old, but I'm feisty. And Jesus is like, boop. He's like, oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> What's going to happen with that? And, and the, the, the beauty of this is that God is teaching Jacob, yeah, look, you're standing your ground, this is great, but you still need to respect me. You still need to respect me. Jacob will walk with a limp the rest of his life. One writer says it like this, Jacob walks with a limp, but every time he limps, he remembers the God who could have crushed me decided to make me a man instead. He knows that God loves him. So then this guy says, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So I just see this Jacob just hanging on. It's like, okay, sun's coming up. You can let me go now. No, no. It's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. And he says, verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? So I want you to go to you bless me. The guy says, what's your name? And I think this is kind of weird if you don't understand the scriptures. You think, wouldn't God know Jacob's name? Like, is God in heaven being like, I'm bored today. I'm going to wrestle that guy. Right? And then shows up, pop. No, God is doing something here very important. He says, what is your name? Jacob has spent his entire life running from who God has called him to be. He has struggled with God because he hasn't trusted. He has not been okay just being who God made him to be. His identity has always been in all these other things. It starts off trying to be his brother. And then it's like, well, I guess I'm just a trickster or a mama's boy, the guy with these, you know, four wives and all these kids. Who who am I? And some of us, that's a lot like us. We're always trying to be something who God did not create us to be. God created us to live and be his children. We trust him first in all things. Our identity is meant to be child of God. Not all these things that we try and lay over ourselves. This running from God in Jacob's life affected every relationship Jacob has ever had. And as long as Jacob was not trusting God for who he made him to be, he's envying everyone else. And this is what he says. And he said, Jacob. It's the first time in Jacob's life that he has actually been honest about his name and who he is. He doesn't lie, he doesn't run, he tells the truth, he owns up to it. Jacob is finally okay being Jacob, and it only came through trial and perseverance. God coming and bringing these things in his life. And as soon as Jacob says his name, God will then change his name and lead him into the life that he is supposed to live in and who he should be. Verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
I don't know if you can picture the scene. Jacob's like, okay, I'm Jacob. And God's like, not any longer, not any longer. Now you are Israel, now you are a nation. Up until this point in the scriptures, God has been known as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And now, after this moment, he is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is where the scriptures kind of turn with this man at this point. Israel can mean different things. Uh, one who struggles with God and man and overcomes. Not you win over God, but when you struggle, you struggle with God and you overcome. Some commentators believe up to this point in his life, Jacob's name was Israel-Yehab, uh, like Jacob will rule. Uh, but now it's Israel, El meaning the name for God, so God will rule in your life. Jacob gets to a place where he has a fat lip and maybe a limp, and, but now he's the name of a nation. That's the good news of the gospel. Through this man, Jesus comes to save us all. From this time forward, the word Israel will appear in the scripture 1,800 times. 1,800 times, either to the man or the nation. You know what that tells you? It tells you that God is faithful, that God remembers his promises. God remembers his promises. God used every circumstance in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's life to conform them to the people of dignity and purpose they were meant to be. For us, everything that comes into our lives is either from the hand of God or is passed through the hand of God. And instead of always trying to find a way out of all of our hardship and struggle, we should look for ways that we can know God better in the midst of those hardships and struggles because we remember His promises. Ask yourself this question. One guy says this. Would you rather limp with a blessing or skip and run without one? Would you rather limp with a blessing or skip and run without one? And I looked over this message and I'm thinking about bringing it to a close. And I really hope that today you see the faithfulness of God to his promise, even in the goofy things that we as people always do. I hope you see how the gospel reminds us that God's remembrance of us that saves us all. God tells humanity in the garden, you know, you sin, you die. That's how it works. Sin cuts us off from God's presence. It cuts us off from our relationship with creation around us and one another. We cannot deal with it on our own because we continue to sin. So Jesus comes to us to restore us because Jesus walks between the pieces, just like was promised at the cross. And this is why the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our God. This is the good news of the gospel. We need to stop being, trying to be something that we're not. And simply live in who God made us to be. His image bearers in the world. Which leads me to my gospel statement for this week with you guys. It's a little bit shorter. But in our gospel community this week, uh, one of the people that's in it asked this question. They, they said, why do you keep changing the gospel statement each week? And I'm like, what? You know, because I'm thinking it makes total sense. And, and they're like, I, I don't understand. Because they said, the gospel to me is that, you know, Jesus came and he lived and he died. and He rose from the grave to offer me redemption and, and, and salvation. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get that, because that, that's true, that's true. But we also have to understand that, that the gospel is more and bigger than that. The gospel is how it relates to our lives every single day and changes us now in the present. Because, yes, God did come to rescue and save me, us, as a people, but then what does he do? He calls us to be a blessing. And so the gospel is also about how we begin to live out that good news. The gospel isn't, God has saved me, now I'm waiting for heaven one day far away. It's, it's not about death. It's about life here and now. The gospel speaks into every situation we can have. Maybe you have some wayward kids who are going really crazy. Well, the gospel is the good news that God has wayward kids. Us, right? 
and He comes and He rescues and steps in. And so how does God discipline His kids? How does He love His kids? How does He bring us back to Him? That's the good news of the gospel, what He has done to rescue and bring us back in. Maybe you feel alone, like all of your friends have abandoned you. Well, Jesus, on the cross, everybody abandons him. They run away from him. He is all alone, and yet he goes to the cross, and the good news of the gospel is that God understands that. This is how the gospel makes sense in all we do, and how we can actually speak it into one another's lives, the reality of what it is. Because, yes, the gospel is how Jesus rescued and saved us. But the good news is also about what that is meant to do in us, how we can understand and speak it into every situation. And that's why it changes each week. It's centered on the person of Jesus, but it's also out of the story of what's taking place in the Scriptures. So, my gospel statement for this week is this. The gospel is the good news that God has remembered us in our lost state and has come to redeem, rename, and restore us from the broken from our brokenness to be in life Renewed life giving. I'm going to say this again, okay, from the top. The gospel is the good news that God has remembered us in our lost state and has come to redeem, rename, and restore us from our brokenness to being renewed life giving relationships with Him and others. See, it rescues us, but it also sends us out of ourselves to others. So, I don't know if you guys repeat it with me. Again, not like a cult, don't be all weird. Weird. First service was kind of odd today. So, three, two, one. The gospel. the gospel it's the gospel god has renamed us god has renewed us god has put us back in relationship with him and other people again why it's because he is good and it's what he has done it all rests in his hands and this is why we become an immensely humble people because our god is an immensely gracious god who rescues us and restores us and brings us in again. And so we live out the gospel in practical ways around us, understanding that he has rescued and saved us personally. But in that salvation, he brings us into a family, a corporate people together that go out and live out this good news outside of these walls because our God is great. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. Communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You're going to dip that in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me as a people so that we can be brought in. The beauty of communion is the remembrance that God has remembered us. One of the things that Jesus says is you take communion in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what I've done, because when we take it in that regard, it reminds us of what he has done so we would begin to live differently. We live as if we remember what he has done, but it still starts with him remembering us because this is his remembrance of us to rescue and save all the way back in his covenant made to Abraham that I am going to come and rescue people no matter what because you cannot rescue yourself. It's the beauty of the gospel. And if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons in the back. Uh, maybe you're in a place today where, where you feel like you're completely alone and you want somebody to pray with you and talk with you through this and help you to understand the gospel better about how God speaks into the situation exactly where you are and the good news can be good news to you today. Whether you're having problems in a relationship or at work or with anybody or anything that's going on, they would love to pray with you about that and speak to you about the good news of the gospel there's offering boxes next to all the doors we give because god is so good to us and he's given so much to us so we give in return we don't pass the plates response to what he's done uh, there's frito boats outside i thought they were five bucks i'm now told they're three dollars it's a small price to pay for all that great indigestion you have a frito boat help kid go to camp 
Uh, I think there's probably some donuts outside too, so ha- have one of each. Double fist it. I don't care. Uh, but uh, grab some, meet some other people. Hopefully take some of the sermon note questions in there and start to go a little bit deeper uh, with family or friends and talk about what it means that God has remembered us, that God has stepped into creation where we are, that God has rescued, redeemed, restored, renamed us as his people because he is simply that good. Guys, our God is great. Our God is great. And I think the more that we understand the gospel, the remembrance of that will change how we live out our lives. Where we live out our lives in joy and peace and goodness because of what he has done. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us as a people day by day of your goodness. That we would understand that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That the promises that you have made then have come to fruition in your Son. And that we get to worship the same faithful God who has also made promises to us. That you will love us. That you will restore us. That you bring blessings into our lives. And all of those things are meant for us to give back away that we would also love and we would give and we would serve and we would bless others simply because we understand the great blessing first given to us. That we would live out the good news of the gospel. Not just in what we say, but in what we do. That they would both go hand in hand. That we would understand it in such a way that when we see the brokenness not just in our own lives, but in people's lives around us, we could speak the good news into those situations and point everything back to who you are. Teach us to bow our hearts and our lives to you and remember what you have done so we live out the great blessings of the good news. Teach us to love and honor you in all things. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.